You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the 2022 NCAA Division I Women's Volleyball Championships that happened yesterday in Omaha, Nebraska, which is where I'm at right now. I'm currently recording this from my hotel room. I've been here for a convention in which I presented uh, yesterday. And we're going to discuss some of the big takeaways from the match, some of the things that you can apply and take back to your gym and work with your team on. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 131 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week, another day of volleyball. Happy holidays. We are getting close to Christmas to uh, whatever holiday you celebrate around this time of year. And it is, uh, it's an amazing time of year, depending on where you are around the world. If it's warm, I, I envy you. And if it's cold, you know, at least it's, there's a holidays to look forward to. So I'm currently, um, I apologize for the audio today. I'm currently recording on my phone because I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I'm here for the AVCA coaches convention in which um, I had the opportunity and the privilege to present yesterday in which I my topic was how to create winning programs by becoming a more efficient coach. So I had a great time presenting. Um, first of all, I want to thank anyone uh, that was there that attended my session. Um, it was a really engaging session. I appreciate all the feedback and uh, thanks for those of you that came up and talked to me afterwards, took some pictures. It was, it was a great time and I really enjoyed it. And I'm definitely going to be back uh, next year when the convention is in Tampa, which is going to be a lot warmer then Omaha. Omaha's a little bit cold. And it's interesting. Every time I, I got in an Uber, I spoke to people and they're like, oh, you're from Toronto. Like they just associate Toronto with Canada. And for my listeners out there, I just want to put a little disclaimer here. When you hear Toronto and you guys hear Canada, you think Canada is, is cold. Well, certain parts of Canada are cold. Yes, don't get me wrong. But you know, where I live in Toronto, for example, it is not as cold as, as it is in like Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Omaha is freezing compared to what it is uh, in Toronto. But uh, nevertheless, it was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, you know what? I got a chance to connect with so many of my uh, followers that follow me on Instagram and TikTok and a lot of the podcast listeners. Um, you know, you guys came up and, and introduced yourself. And I really appreciate that. And I, I, I loved hearing the feedback from people from all over the U.S. I mean, I met people from literally almost every state, maybe not every state, but so many different states in the U.S. So that's uh, very appreciative of that. And yeah, you know what? It was um, it was a great convention. Uh, I got to say for my Canadian listeners, we don't do it as nearly as great as they do it uh, in the U.S. They uh, like to give you a comparison. We, you know, in Canada, we do have a coaching symposium that happens, you know, in theory once a year, and it it, it revolves around VNL, like it's around that time. And at, any, at at our coaching symposium, you know, we would have you know one court session going on, and maybe a classroom session or two happening at once. And there's a really good schedule. At this convention, there was, you know, two court sessions going on at a time, plus a beach session, plus 
six or seven classroom sessions that were happening simultaneously. There were so many coaches and so many great people here that it, it was a vibe that I've never been a part of. And I'm truly honored to be able to present here and be part of that. So yeah, long story short, thank you so much for all of you that came up to say what's up to me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And I encourage you, if you did attend my session, uh, reach out if you have any questions about it. Um, you know, if you want my help with anything, reach out. Uh, my information was there. And if, it, and if you don't remember, you don't have it, just hit me up on Instagram, Brian Singh underscore Coach B. It's in the show notes. And I'll definitely be able to respond back. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, let's talk about the NCAA Finals. The NCAA Finals was a show. And, you know, being a, being from Toronto, I've actually never been to an NCAA Finals uh, in the U.S., and it is an incredible show. It is. It it feels like I was in like a Raptors basketball game, you know, like an NBA game or like something where it's huge arenas. We had over sixteen thousand people uh, in that arena, and the vibe was amazing. So to be able to play on that stage as a volleyball player and coach, unbelievable. I can't imagine uh, the excitement. But it was a great vibe, and we saw a great a great game. I mean. Yes, it wasn't a five-set thriller, but it was still some good volleyball. Um, you know, that third set was extremely tight. Uh, you know, it was a two-point win. And, you know, we always want – you always at least you get one good, solid, close set that it was uh, it was exciting. So let's, let's talk about it. So the goal of today's episode, if you didn't see the NCAA Finals, that's okay. I'm, I, I highly recommend you go back and watch it. I'm sure it will be on YouTube at some point. Uh, but I just want to talk about a couple things that I think are important to note and some things that, you know, many of the stuff you already know, but it's just nice to see it at the highest level in the country and say, you know what, sometimes the volleyball is that simple. It really is. And I actually noticed uh, for any of my non-U.S. listeners, I noticed a lot of things that are different they do in the U.S. that they don't do in any other part of the world. Uh, for example, uh, unlimited or pretty much unlimited subs. Like they have 15, they're allowed 15 subs in, in, a, in a set. Uh, normally you're allowed a maximum of six and in younger age groups, you're allowed a maximum of 12. So even if we were to, you know, play this match in anywhere in most parts of the world, there'd be, they would only be allowed six and you can only go in for that player once. So for example, if, a, if, uh, let's say that, an outside hitter, let's say a num- number six goes in for number eight, right? They made a, make a sub, number six goes in for num- number eight. Well, when number six comes back out and number eight goes back in, they are not allowed to go to sub for each other again. That's it. You're only allowed to go out once and back in once. That is it. So not only are you limited to six substitutions, but you can't go back in for that player once they come back out of the game. Uh, I actually like the U.S. rule better where it allows them to have – them go in and out as many times as they want because that's how you guys that's how the u.s teams are allowed to have ds's like defensive specialists because they can do that and i i am a, i am a fan of that i do believe that we shouldn't like limit substitutions and limit going in and out because at the end of the day it's it's about strategy and putting your best players on the floor without limitation and there's no i mean i'm not an expert but i can't think of many other sports where that's allowed like basketball, you can't you can sub as many times as you want. Hockey, sub as many times as you want. I, I mean, like, can you imagine in a basketball game if you told a, a player, yeah, you're only subbing out once and coming back in once? Uh, it, just, it just doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know why volleyball is like that. Another thing that I thought was really interesting, and this caught me off guard, 
is I noticed the head coaches were sitting down on the on their chair and the assistant coaches were up walking down the sideline during a game. Now, I know we, I know for certain that on the men's side that doesn't happen uh, in even in the US. But on the women's side, I was I was confused. I was like, why is the assistant coach standing up on the side and coaching the team and the head coach sitting down? So I asked the uh, another coach who was sitting beside me and they were like that's that's very common on the women's side. And that was interesting. I've I've never seen or heard about that because even in the in the in the rule book, not maybe well, clearly not in the U.S., but in the international rule book, FIVB rule book, the head coach is the only player that's allowed to stand up and walk down the sideline and give instructions or just be in like stay down the sideline. Now there are certain rules where assistant coaches are allowed to stand up and you know give instruction or feedback to the players and things like that, but. The assistant coaches aren't walking up and down the sideline. Uh, is the head coaches doing that? So that was interesting to me. I've never seen or heard about that before, and uh, I I still don't understand why. So if you're a U.S. coach, you got to explain this one to me. I, I can't for the life of me understand why the head coach would be sitting back while the assistants are walking up and down giving instruction. I figure that's part of the head coach's job. Maybe the head coach is looking at another thing. I I mean. Maybe, maybe there's a strategy behind that. I don't know. So that was interesting to me. Something different. Um, obviously, liberos can serve. Okay, liberos can serve in the U.S. I actually like. I actually like that. You know, as a libero, you, you get you all you do is dig and play uh, and, and serve receive. Now being able to serve, I think that's fantastic. I love that. Now the rule is the libero can only serve for one of the middles, not both middles, which I understand. Nevertheless, it's. Uh, I like that. I, I really, really like that. I don't think that's going to that's gonna change internationally, but I definitely like the fact that liberos can serve. The other thing that I found interesting was uh, head coaches, like, so in that match, now this could be because it was a, you know, it was a national finals, but the head coaches were, they were having a lot of dialogue with the R2, the down official. Like, for example, um, you know, a play would happen and maybe the, the head coach gets upset and this like texas head coach for example was irate at one of the calls and was going in on the r2 like the down official and was was pretty giving her a tough time and that should have been an automatic card for me like we're like as a head coach you are not allowed to have a conversation with the down official i mean you can have friendly conversation in theory like they're they there's certain things they allow but that's that's a captain going up to the R1, the head official, to talk, and they let that go. So that could be because it was a, you know, it was the NCAA finals. Maybe that's why. But normally the the head official is not allowed to go after the the, the R2 without getting a warning at least. Uh, the assistant coaches tried to do that, and they did get a yellow. One of the the Louisville assistant coaches got a yellow for that. But anyways, that's that's another conversation. So those are the those are the big like differences that i saw that i was like wow this that's a, that's a whole different ball game oh there was another one and I, I i still don't know the rule and i probably should have looked this up before i before i'm talking about on the pod but middles subbing so there is a rule where i noticed that a substitution like when a sub is made like they come to the substitution zone they sub in and, and that's it but there was not another time where middles would come like a middle would just come in the game and another middle would come off um, like without, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know how the middle comes off and the libero comes on? So that's a different story. But a middle came off and a middle came on without a sub. Now it wasn't during a, it wasn't during a serving switch. 
it was it was different. I you know what? Forget that point. I I, I I'm trying just I'm explaining it wrong. But normally here here's what it is. Normally, the only times middles exchange is after a middle serves. You know, no, there isn't a time because once the middle serves in the back row, the libero comes on. So I was so confused with these middles going in and out without subbing. That that was interesting to me because that's not the way it works normally. But anyways, long story short, I don't know. There was a, a weird subbing thing with the middle. Okay, so let's talk about strategy. Sorry, I spent like 11 minutes there not talking about strategy. Okay, in terms of things that you can actually tangible things we can take take away from the game. You can you can see if you watch that game, Texas had a strategy. They realized that Louisville was left side heavy and more so pin heavy. Okay, so they had a good right side ball, but they were really good on the left side. And not to say that their middles were were weak by any means, but Louisville had really strong left sides who they wanted to get going. So Texas, for the entire match, all three sets, served the 6-5 seam. Now, at the beginning of the match, I thought they were going after uh, number nine. Number nine, uh, her name is Claire, I believe. Uh, and she was, you know, she was a high flyer, amazing shots. If you, if you have a chance to watch her play, her, her ability to swing off hands, um, make the right decisions was was really good, and I, I was really impressed with her ability to do that. But she was their go-to, and I thought they were serving her, but then I realized they were just serving the, the 6-5 seam, and they did that all game long to take Louisville out of system to not have their left sides be engaged and involved. So that was interesting, and it worked. It worked really well. Unfortunately, the number one takeaway from this game came down to serve and pass. Seriously, it came down to serve and pass. Texas was was in system a lot more than Louisville was in system. And unfortunately, that was a big part of the reason why Louisville lost. Louisville could not side out. They were not in system. The setter was chasing balls, and uh, it was a lot of out-of-system play. So because of that, it put Louisville in a tough position to score. Their middles were not involved as much as they should have been. Uh, and then therefore left sides, you know, they could in, in the girls game, they, they double block out of systems versus the guys game. They double block out of systems and, you know, it is what it is. It's like they, it was a tough time for them to score. So first thing it leads me to saying, so obviously point number one is serve and pass still comes down to serve and pass. You know, ironically, the way that uh, Texas won the national championship was they got an ace on, on match point. So serve and pass. Now, one thing to note that in, in the women's game, I got, I got asked this question too. In the women's game, there you don't see a lot of triple blocking on out-of-system balls versus the men's game where you see a lot of triple blocking on out-of-system balls. And there's two reasons for that. One, and, and most of the time, is does your left side have the ability to get out and make a left side attack after they come down from a block? Generally, on, on the men's side, you have you know 6'2", 6'3", you know, 6'6", left sides who can get up on a block and make it a useful block, and then be able to come out and still swing a left side ball. So normally on the women's side, because they tend to be a little bit shorter, they don't have the ability to do that. Now, not, not, that's a general statement. I'm not saying that they can't do it. Some players can, but majority of them have a tough time doing that. The second thing is, is that triple block useful? So is that pin blocker, that left side blocker, coming over to help and put up six, like, another pair of hands, making it six hands, is that useful? And if it is, 
then absolutely that's an option that you can you can do it providing they can still come outside and be be a left side attacker so that's something to think about when you're setting up when you're determining whether or not you want a triple block uh and clearly in the national finals triple blocking wasn't really necessary i mean they, they were digging they were you know making great shots now would a triple block have helped i don't know it's something that i would have to see uh but in in the case you know they, they did fine so that's that's what you think about whether when you're deciding if you can do a triple block or not um you know there was no c-ball okay so there was no c-ball in this game uh, and, I, and i noticed that there's not a lot of c-ball that happens in the women's league um which because they run a lot of slides and the slide, you know, worked really well for both teams. When, you know, when Louisville ran their middles and they did that slide, it was working for them. And then, you know, when uh, Texas ran their slides, it was working for them as well. So the slide is a great option, uh, providing you can do it. Okay, so point number one was serve and pass. Uh, point number two was specifically targeting certain seams where you want to exploit. You could tell... You know, Texas's targeting was hit that 6-5 seam to take the left sides out, take them out of system, and take the left sides out to win-win. Put them out of system, and you know, there it is. Um, let's talk to let's talk about a couple other things. So, some other things I noticed too was unforced errors, and unforced errors really, really, uh, unfortunately, it hurt Louisville because just to just to show you, like I, you, you could tell. They were out of system, and because they were out of system, they weren't able to convert at a high clip. Like, just to give you an example, in the second set, Louisville's uh, hitting percentage was a negative. It was a negative .029, and that, you're not going to win a national championship hitting a negative hitting percentage. And the reason it was negative was because they served Texas served tough, so they were out of system, so they couldn't convert at a high clip. And then, when they, and because they were thrown out of rhythm... When they did get the opportunity to swing, they swung out, or they swung into the net, or you know something like that happened. And and the and not, not to not to say that's an excuse for swinging out, but when you have a lot of unforced errors in our game, our game goes to 25, right? It's very very difficult to stay in a match with a ton of unforced errors, unless the other team is making unforced errors as well, and they weren't. So, like on the match, and this is a huge difference here on the match. You know, Louisville had 36 kills, but Texas had 48. Texas was converting at a much higher clip. And here's the kicker for me. Louisville had 16 hitting errors, while Texas only had nine. So offensively, you could tell that Texas was way more in an offensive. They were more like they had a lot more offensive sets. And as a result, they were, they were scoring. Now, yes, Texas had the best player on the floor. All right, uh, Logan, number 33 for Texas. Best player on the floor by far. And you could tell when they set her on the left side, uh, she converted at a high clip. She didn't have a ton of errors. She unfortunately didn't serve as well, um, but she was able to convert for them and put them in positions to score. And that's why she was extremely valuable in that game. So being able to convert is, is a big thing, you know? Uh, and unfortunately, Louisville just wasn't able to convert. Uh, on the match... Um, Logan had 19 kills. All right, she shot at .341, and uh, 19 kills and five errors. It's decent. It could have been better, but it's decent. Uh, and that's how. You, and she had 21 points by herself. You know, 21 points by herself. So that's a big thing. So, I guess my point number three, and this is one that you know many people are aware of, is in big games, you need a player that can convert. And you look at any sport, in basketball. You, in the final seconds of the clock, you give it to your best player to score a bucket. 
because they need you need someone that can put the ball away, right? Just like in volleyball, you need someone that can put the ball away in late game situations. When it, we talked about the 2020 rule on this pod before, but you want that ball to go to your best player because that best player is going to put the ball away for you and score. Every team needs to have a player that can convert at a high clip because that's that I think that's a big part of separating champions like championship teams from non-championship teams like because if you don't have that player that can convert at a high clip it puts you at a disadvantage now the argument to that is well I could have a team that's all around really really good sure you can have a team that's all around really really good and I don't discredit that and once you have a system that works you know, you're in system, you can run all four attackers, you should still be able to score. There's no doubt about that. But I can tell you from coaching high level sports, when it comes to crunch time and you're in, let's say you're in a rut, you know, maybe you lost two points in a row, three points in a row, or the other the other team went on a run, you need to get it to your go-to guy to score or go-to girl to score. So point number three is you have to have a, a player that can convert at a high clip when it comes to the high level. Okay. Uh, so Really, really, my fourth point is when a team is out of system, okay, they they start becoming predictable. And this was Louisville's problem later on in the match, especially in that third set. In that third set, they were becoming very predictable, meaning they know they weren't they weren't passing that well. And then when they did get a chance to pass well, their middle engagement wasn't it wasn't there because you know think about middles as from a middle perspective. They've been out of system so many times that it's you running your route is you know it becomes impossible and you haven't been running your route very much so you're out of rhythm. So the few times you are in system, then you're running your route, but you're, you're still you're not in that rhythm yet. You haven't established a rhythm. So as a result, Louisville would go very pin heavy. They'd go left side, they'd go right side, and Texas read that really well and they had a double block pretty much on everything. There wasn't a lot of one on one situations that happened. You know, fortunately for Louisville. They have a great player in Claire, number nine, who is a very intelligent, uh, you know, a very intelligent swing, knows how to use the hands, makes the right shot. But again, she's always going to have a double block and their defense can set up around that. So that was one thing that, you know, Louisville became very predictable. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. Now, Texas, on the other hand, wasn't predictable. They were running their middle on the slides. They were running a pipe attack. Uh, Louisville was running a little bit of pipe, too, but. Um, they were running their pipe attacks as well. And then they had their go-to player in Logan who could put the ball away when they needed to. And, you know, she had, like I said, 19 kills on the match. So there, there's, um, you know, that's kind of, when you, when you sum it all up for this, this, these were the big takeaways. There's a couple other small things, but, you know, like timeout management. I thought that Louisville should have called a timeout a little earlier than they did in certain sets when they went on. A, they waited till they got till it got to like a five or six point game before they called their first timeout in one of the sets. So timeout management could have been a little bit better. However, I will give Louisville credit for their challenges. They were successful in almost all of their challenges except one. And that was a pretty impressive to be that successful in all your challenges. Man, I wish we had the challenge system in every league or at least in our league. So just to recap really quickly here, first of all, amazing show. Uh, I highly encourage any volleyball fan to go into an NCAA Final Four, right? Final Four championship match. It's a great environment. It's great to see that kind of ball. And if you're a coach, the best view to watch a volleyball match is the baseline view. You don't want to be on the sides. You can't see anything on the sides from a tactical perspective. And, and, and what's ironic is 
the sides are the most expensive tickets. That's crazy. The baselines are cheaper. So you're there. It's a, it's a win-win because that way you can see the tempo of the ball. You can see, you know, the defensive systems and how they're working. You see the triple block. You see their, their ceiling and all that stuff. So much better from a, from a coaching standpoint, which I'm sure many of you know. But, you know, all in all, it was a great show. Um, they, uh, they, U.S., my, my friends in the U.S., you guys do things a little bit differently. Uh, most of it I love. Some of them I, I question, like, the, I can't get over the assistant coach one. That, that, one's, that one's weird for me. Maybe that's because I'm a head coach, but even then, sitting, I'm trying to think right now, if I, if I was to sit back and let my head assistant, uh, who's my brother, like, stand up and run the show, how would I feel about that? A part of me feels like I, I'd be okay with it, but at the same time, no, I, I, I need to be on the side if anyone's being on the side, but maybe that's just, I don't know. Maybe that's an ego thing. Who knows? So, uh, some other, the takeaways: have a you know have a have a game plan. Texas had a game plan. They wanted to serve tough. They wanted to to, to serve that six five seam because they knew that it would take uh, Louisville out of system and not being not allow them to run middle attacks and you know put their left sides in a tough position to score, which it did. They uh, unfortunately Louisville couldn't pass well. And that was a big reason why they lost. Uh, Texas served tough. So again, back to the basics. The best serving and passing teams win. You know, I always say the best serving and passing teams win. And fortunately for Texas, they also had the best offense. Uh, you know, teach your attackers. Teach your attackers how to be able to swing when there's blockers there. Right? A lot, especially at the younger age group, when they see a block, they get afraid. They want to move away from the block. No, 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 no. We want the block to be our friend. We want it to help us score. So use the hands. You know, have fun with it. Uh, show them the different shots that they can do. Off hands, uh, you know, high like high line, sharp cross, you know, tip, high tip, power. Oh, the the middles. Um, you know, you know what? Oh, here's another thing that I loved about watching this is I love that the refs let the game play like they let the game go like they let i can't even say this they let the athletes play you know they didn't try to regulate the game especially actually funny thing i uh, i've never seen this happen in the finals before but two out of rotation calls they haven't seen that before and uh they were both right they were both right one of them was uh that one of the players was was coming from position four and they were releasing early to go to position two to swing um, and they left early before contact. So absolutely, that was a that was the right call. And Texas head coach didn't like that, but it was the right call. And, and then uh, Louisville got called on an out of rotation too. I wasn't sure what the out of rotation was on Louisville, but they got so two out of rotation calls in the national finals. Unbelievable. But uh, yeah, that was what was my point? I can't remember my point. Anyways, so we have um, yeah the serving, the passing. Uh, we have the offense. We talked about. Uh, oh yeah, hitting with a block. So that that was the one. Make sure you hit. You know how to hit with a block. Uh, unforced errors. Unforced errors can really hurt you. I mean, you can have a couple, but you know when you're starting to make double the almost double the amount of errors as the other team, that's that's going to be a tough match to to win. You're not going to make a match. You're not going to win a match when when that's happening. Rhythm's a big part of that too. Making sure that you get the rhythm back on your side. Uh, and then being predictable, you know, Louisville was very predictable at the end, and, and Texas could pick up on that and read that. Um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, you know, those are my those are my big takeaways. So when you go to your gym, you know, many of the stuff you're already doing, but you're you're serving and passing, so still have an emphasis on serving and passing. You know, having your you having the ability to have your attackers hit multiple different shots and not be afraid of the block, rather embrace the block. That's the big one too. Uh, teaching them a variety of different shots, you know. Um, I, I didn't talk too much about pipe, but 
you know, Louisville and both Texas had good pipe options. They didn't use they didn't use it as much as they could have, uh, but they had they both had good pipe options. Uh, oh, that was my my point. My point was the the tip. Sorry, that's right. What was going on that earlier? So what I loved is that they let them play, and when I and I had um you know FIVB official Andrew Rob on the pod uh, a couple weeks or last week, he talked about the catch and throw. So you can tell that the U.S. is definitely up to the certain standards with the rules because they allowed a lot of super tips. I call them super tips, power tips, whatever you want to call them, where it looks like a throw, right? But it's just a good contact, heavy directional push on the ball, and and it worked. It scored, and they let that go, and everyone everyone accepts it. Everyone understands that. The rest of the world needs to get caught up to that because that was a great demonstration of what a super tip is and how it can be used effectively. Middles did a great job. And I actually, that was one of my big takeaways too. Is when I go back home to to the gym, I want to start working more with my middles on tipping, uh, not lightly, but into great shots. So, one of the toughest shots to do in the game out of the middle is cut the ball to one, right? Because you're when you're coming on a, on a straight line approach. If you're a right-handed hitter, then you're opening to the setter who is on the right side of you. So cutting the ball to one cross body is very difficult. But if you have the ability to super tip. You could easily super tip to one and it still be almost as effective as a swing. Almost. Not, not, it's not as effective as a swing, but it's almost. It's still very, very effective. And that's something that I actually haven't worked on with my middles is that super tip to one and a, and a controlled super tip. Uh, so I, will, I, I highly recommend, especially where the game is going now, where it's, not a, it's no longer a lift. It's a catch and throw. So I really want to work on my attackers being able to do that because that is an advantage. That is an advantage you can work on with your players now so that when they get to that level, or even, even now in games, you can utilize it and really uh, be that effective. You just have to make sure that the referees are aware of that rule and allow that to happen because some refs are still old school and, and will ref you know based on the old rules. Okay, so yeah, so that's it. I hope you got a chance to take away some things. You know, I took I took a lot of things away that I'm going to take back to my gym, such as the super tip that I just mentioned, um, as well as, you know, serve and pass, out of system stuff, and and hitting off blocks and being really intelligent with that. Those are my big takeaways. Um, I hope that you could pick, pick some things up that I mentioned here and take back to your gym. And yeah, and we can go from there. All right. So that's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I will see you guys next week. Take care. All right. Cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.